We're going to have our Bible reading now. It today comes from Mark chapter 3, beginning at verse 1 and through to verse 6. And you can find that on page 1003 of the Bibles on the chairs. Mark chapter 3. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Morning. How are you going? Great to be with you. Um, let's pray together. Psalm 95 says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Lord, we pray this morning that we would not harden our hearts as we hear your voice. May that be true of us. Amen. Amen. Um, uh, recently, I was reflecting with a friend of mine, and uh, he was reflecting on just the first couple of years of his marriage. And he was saying one of the reasons that marriage can be hard, and any close friendship, relationship for that matter, one of the reasons it can be really hard is because that person, that friend who's in your life constantly, can be like a mirror to you. And that is they can reflect back to you what you're like as you compare and contrast your life with them. You see bits about yourself that you don't particularly like necessarily. Uh, things that need changing about you. Have you ever had that experience? Just me. Okay. Uh, this Thursday, most recent example, I was talking to my wife about lots of different things, and it just came up. Matt, you know that you have a disposition to be judgy. And uh, I thought to myself, yes, I do know that, and I learned that again and again and again. And that's a really hard thing to hear, right? But uh, she was able to reflect that back to me, and it's helpful. I have a mirror in my life. I have many mirrors in my life. I'm sure you do too. It's not always easy. Uh, that's kind of what we see in this passage. Uh, Jesus is a bit of a mirror to the lives of the Pharisees and some other people. Uh, and Mark, the gospel writer, wants to make the point uh, that when Jesus turned up, not everybody liked him because he was a bit of a mirror onto their lives. He was a bit of a mirror uh, onto aspects of their lives. And, and some of those things they saw in him about themselves as they compared and contrasted their life to him uh, weren't that easy to see, weren't that easy to hear. Jesus reflects back to them something about themselves. Uh, what's really interesting as well is it's not just... There's two groups in this passage uh, that see in themselves something about themselves that needs changing in Jesus. There's two different groups. It's not just the religious. That's the Pharisees, the first group of people, right? 
they're a group of people who um, they know God's law. They want to keep it more closely than anybody else. Uh, and yet Jesus comes along and they find him quite confronting, quite difficult. On the other hand, you have at the end of that passage, it talks about the Herodians that the Pharisees team up with in order to take Jesus down. They're on a completely different end of the spectrum. The Herodians are people, they're Jewish, they're God-fearers, but they enjoy the Roman political power of the day and all the Greek culture that's going to come with that. They're kind of progressives of the day. They're the people who are a little bit flexible. Everybody can do what they like. And yet Jesus comes along and Jesus challenges them as well. And they don't like him. And Jesus confronts them. He's a bit of a mirror to them and what's going on in their own lives and hearts. Um, and, and what do we find out about them? I think it's in verse 5. Have a look. Chapter 3, verse 5. Jesus looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Or you might have a version that says, at their hardness of heart. What we see in this text is that Jesus reveals hard hearts. He can reveal our hard hearts. And so I want to look at that today. I want to look at what it means to have a hard heart. How do you tell if you have a hard heart? Oh, that's going to be fun, isn't it? (laughs) How do you tell if you have a hard heart? Secondly, what causes a hard heart? And then finally, what's the remedy for a hard heart? Because Jesus exposes in all of us a hardness of heart that needs dealing with. doesn't matter who you are. You might be very religious. You might be quite the opposite. People find in Jesus something confronting, a mirror of themselves. So firstly, how do you tell if you have a hard heart? What is a hard heart? The word that we get for, for stubborn here or hard hearts actually is the word that we also use for petrify. You know, you've probably seen a, an organic thing, maybe a piece of wood, maybe a tree trunk, and over thousands of years it's become solid stone. Something organic has turned to stone. That's the word that um, is being expressed here. A hard heart is a heart that's not functioning as it should. It's no longer a human heart. It's no longer a heart soft, right? It's a muscle. It should be able to change and flex and experience new things and new ideas. But a hard heart is one that's not functioning properly. You see that in verse 6. What happens then the Pharisees went away and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. How do you tell if you have a hard heart? You want to kill someone. It's going to be more nuanced than that. It's okay. Uh, but that's anti-human, isn't it? To have a hard heart. It's not functioning how it should. It's anti-human. And a hard heart will not only cause you to want to kill others, it'll also uh, kill you at the end of the day. It'll destroy the good human nature that is in you. How do you tell if you have a hard heart? Let's look at um, the first interaction the Pharisees have with Jesus. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue. Verse 1. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue and and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. 
Did you notice they're watching to see if Jesus would stuff up? They're watching to see if Jesus would make a mistake, if they could put some dirt on Jesus. Uh, Who's watching? It's the Pharisees. We've talked about them a little bit already. But the Pharisees were basically, they're a group of followers. Uh, But they followed the scribes. And the scribes were a group of people. They were the experts in the law. They had worked out by reading the Old Testament and doing all their study. They had worked out what it looked like for an Israelite to live righteously before God. That's what they'd done. And they'd worked, it all, they'd worked it all out. And the Pharisees were a group of people who followed that. And they were known for following it accurately and precisely, for specifically. Actually, the term Pharisee comes from the word to be separate or to be specific. That's what they were known for. They were the experts And they had a rule for everything. In the Old Testament, of course, there were rules on how to follow God, on how to know how to live a good life. Uh, But the Pharisees, uh, the the scribes rather, had come up with about three for every one of them. So instead of there being a couple of hundred, there were thousands of these rules outside of the Bible in their own little texts. Um, I was reading this morning, as I was thinking about my sermon, On the Sabbath, one of the things that the scribes had prohibited doing on the Sabbath was climbing a tree. You know, I felt for every child in that moment. What do you want to do on your day off? You want to climb a tree. Why? Because they were afraid that a branch might break under their weight. And perhaps if a branch broke and some fruit fell from that branch, it would appear that you might be harvesting fruit to eat so you couldn't climb a tree. You get a bit of a sense of how particular, how specific they were about obeying and keeping all the rules. And so Jesus comes along and he's a bit of a threat to them. If you've been here the last couple of weeks, you will have seen that Jesus is a bit of a threat to this way of living. Uh, Because Jesus, uh, sorry, the, the Pharisees, you know, they thought they were the ones who knew God's rules best, knew how to live God's way best. And yet Jesus comes along and he teaches as one with authority, not like the scribes. And so the Pharisees are a little bit put out. And also he comes along, the Pharisees are the people who think they're living out God's way, the best way. And yet Jesus comes along and he's actually loving thy neighbor. He's seen to be eating with tax collectors and with sinners. So there's a bit of a threat to not just how much they know, but how they're living out their life. And then finally, you know, the Pharisees would walk around with a bit of an air to them because they felt like they should be respected and honored uh, because they're the best at this. Jesus comes along and fame is spreading about him. And so they're feeling a little bit threatened. They're feeling a little bit threatened. And what do we hear? They're watching him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. I don't know about you. Have you ever watched somebody try and do good? Or you ever seen someone do good and you want to get them for it? You ever been like that? You see somebody successful in an area of their work and you think, ah, that should be me. They're feeling a little bit threatened. 
How do you tell if you have a hard heart? I reckon one of the ways, I've actually got a little list of 10. I reckon, I'll share that with you in a moment. I reckon one of the ways is if you see someone doing good in the world and you want to get them for it. You see someone successful, more successful than you perhaps, and you want to take them down. Such is the state of the human heart, isn't it? That we want to get those that are doing good in the world. Notice Jesus hasn't done anything bad. Not yet, not ever. And yet they all want to get him for it. Here's, here's a little list of ten. I've borrowed this from someone, but I think it's really helpful. Do you want to hear it? Are you sure? <laughs> it might expose you. Number one, and you can think about the Pharisees in general. If you've read Mark, if you've been here the last couple of weeks. Number one, you know you've got a hard heart. You're a little bit like a Pharisee. If you like rules, anyone like rules? Number two, if you think of yourself as the guardian of right and wrong. Number three, you're quick to criticize and slow to compliment. Number four, you see the bad in something and miss a whole lot of the beautiful things in life. Number five, you wish people were more like you. It's just me. Number six, you don't eat and drink with people far from God. You don't spend time with people who don't have everything sorted. Number seven, every new reading of the Bible is guilty before being proven innocent. That's interesting, isn't it? Number eight, rules matter more than reality. Number nine, the issue is more important than the person. Number ten, you hold yourself to a higher standard than Jesus. That's a bit dangerous. How do you tell if you have a hard heart? I wonder whether we see it in the Pharisees right there. So what's the cause of a hard heart? What's the cause of a hard heart? How do you get a hard heart? I reckon it's this simple, really. It's when we think we rule our own lives and can get for ourselves what only God can give us. Let me just break those up. When we think we rule our own lives, I think that's when a hard heart in us starts to form. When we think we're the boss, when we think we're the ones in control of our own lives. Have a look at verse 4. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? And look at their response. But they remained silent. Jesus asks a question to them uh, that gets to the heart of their heart issue. It's a question I think that should be really easy to answer, right? What's lawful to do on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? You might already know this. The Bible says, thou shalt not kill seven days a week. It should be an easy, answer to, an easy question to answer. In fact, uh, Jesus in Matthew's Gospel answers it for them. He says in Matthew's Gospel, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, won't you go and lift it out? He says, how much more of more value is a human life than that of an animal? And he says, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. It's an easy question 
but they find it hard. Why do they find it hard? I think it's because this whole time, they're the ones thinking to themselves that they're the ones who can write a law. They're the ones who can determine what is right and wrong for themselves and for everyone. They've put themselves in the driver's seat the whole time. And now they've been found out. Because what are they on their way to do? They're on their way to kill Jesus. That's what they're trying to achieve. They're doing evil on the Sabbath when they're the ones who are meant to be living God's law out perfectly. But there's another element to this. Jesus asks them this question and he says, which is lawful? And firstly, they're not the ones who can determine what is right and wrong. But secondly, he says, which is lawful on the Sabbath? Now, the Sabbath is not something necessarily that you and I necessarily keep anymore these days. I don't know what comes to mind when you think about the Sabbath. Uh, But for the Jews, the, the Sabbath was a day of rest. And it wasn't just a day of weekly rest. It was a day where they were reminded that one day... Um, or that rest comes from God and that one day God would ultimately bring about rest in the world. But here they are, the Pharisees, and they've written all these different laws. You shouldn't climb a tree. All these different things to do so you can achieve rest for yourself. The Pharisees are trying to achieve rest for themselves. They're trying to get themselves what only God can give them rest and so not only have they become the arbitrators of what's right and wrong in the world they've become for themselves their own saviors they've become for themselves people who can help themselves who can save themselves see I think I don't know about you but when somebody comes to me and somebody challenges me like Jesus is challenging them on this day and they say something to me like oh Matt I reckon you could do something a little bit I reckon you could have done that a little bit better. I, I reckon that was a bit of a mistake. And my heart starts to freeze up a little bit. I'm like, who made you boss of me? You know? I know, I know, how, to, I know how to do life. I think in, it's in that moment, it's when that person came and challenged me that my heart is getting hard. But actually, I think our heart starts getting harder years before those moments, years before we're challenged. It's when we put ourselves on the throne. It's when we think we can determine for ourselves what is right and wrong. When we think for ourselves how we can be satisfied in this life. And the issue there is, well, no wonder we're going to be confronted when Jesus turns up. No wonder we're going to be challenged and our hearts are going to feel hard when somebody challenges us. Because we're sitting in a throne that doesn't belong to us. That throne belongs to Jesus. And Jesus rightly belongs to sit in that throne. He rightly belongs to tell us how to live our lives. He he alone can give us rest. And so no wonder we're confronted. What's the cause of a hard heart? It's pride. It's arrogance. It's a self-centeredness. It's putting ourselves on that throne. Trying to determine for ourselves what is right and wrong. Trying to get for ourselves what only God can give us. So what's the remedy for a hard heart? What's the remedy for a hard heart? Have a look at verses 5 and 6. Let me read it. He looked around around at them in anger 
and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts or their hard hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your, withered, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. I think it would be easy to say, for me to stand here this morning and say, you've got to be a little bit like the man with a withered hand. If you've got a withered heart, you need to be a little bit like the man with a withered hand. Do what Jesus says, come to Jesus, and he will completely restore you. Uh, and there's some truth in that. But it puts the onus on you. And I actually think Mark wants us to see Jesus. And he wants to see how Jesus responds. Because I think the people that we're more like in this text are the Pharisees. And they're the ones with stone heart. But notice Jesus has a very different heart. Notice we see Jesus' emotion. We see his thoughts. And he's not indifferent to the man with a withered hand. He's not indifferent to the Pharisees. He's actually angry and deeply distressed, it says there in verse 5. So what's the remedy for a hard heart? Notice Jesus. Jesus has anger and Jesus has grief. Uh, If you've been watching the news of late, you will have seen that we care about how our leaders respond to crisis, don't we? Uh, Scott Morrison got in a lot of trouble from a lot of us because on holidays during the bushfires, we thought that wasn't a very good idea. More recently, the Chinese president, uh, his response, which was seen to be slow and distant uh, from the coronavirus, he copped a, a lot for that because we want our leaders to respond appropriately to crisis. We want our leaders to respond appropriately to important things, to do something. And we want them to set a bit of an example for us, ourselves, in how we respond. Notice Jesus. Jesus has anger and Jesus also has grief. Why why is Jesus angry? Well, Jesus is angry because the Pharisees have missed the forest for the trees, haven't they? They're more concerned with a person they have a problem with. They're more concerned with Jesus than they are with the person with the problem. There's a man in their gathering with a disability. And they're more concerned about how Jesus is going to respond than they are with helping this man. You know, I think there's a lesson for us in that. And perhaps a remedy for our hard hearts. Oh, that our eyes would lift off ourselves and the people that we have problems with to the people with real problems and to the real problems in the world. Maybe then we would begin to have hearts that reflect our maker, soft hearts, compassionate hearts, hearts that Jesus would be happy with. Jesus is angry at their hard-heartedness, their indifference, their failure to show compassion, to care more about themselves, That's worthy of his righteous anger. But secondly, notice Jesus has grief as well. Jesus is sad when he looks at the Pharisees. He's upset. He has sympathy for them. It grieves him because he knows they're better than that. He knows humans 
we're capable of better. And he's not just, he's not happy. You know, he doesn't look at the Pharisees and he's not thinking, yippee, here's another opportunity to smite them. He's grieved in his heart because he knows there was more potential in their heart once upon a time for good than for evil. And so he's sad. I think some of us would be really happy with an angry Jesus. We'd like an angry Jesus. We think the world would be a better place if Jesus just turned up and smote a lot of people. All the evil in the world, he just got rid of it. Well, the world would be empty if that was the case. On the other hand, some of us are really happy and comfortable with a compassionate Jesus. We don't like an angry Jesus. We just want a compassionate Jesus. We want a a Jesus who is soft, a Jesus who is sad, a Jesus who can sympathize with us. But the world wouldn't be in a better place if we just had a sad Jesus because he wouldn't do anything about our problems. We want a leader who will respond appropriately in times of crisis. But notice here that Jesus doesn't actually, I don't think, respond fully and finally to the Pharisees and their hard-heartedness. What's he do in the next moment? He heals the man with the withered hand. And I don't think he heals that man out of spite, just to make a point. You know, that's part of the story. But I think Jesus, I think Jesus, first of all, intended to do good on the Sabbath. He was just obeying the law. He saw a problem, he did something good. But I think also he wanted to show us where his anger and his grief leads. Where his anger and his compassion, his anger and his sympathy, where it leads, where it ends up, how he responds as a leader. And that is his anger and his sadness, his anger and his compassion lead to healing, to restoration, to salvation. He heals right here the man with the withered hand, but he will soon heal with all of those with withered hearts. Where does he do that? He does that on the cross in his death. And on the cross we have a picture of God's anger and God's sympathy, God's anger and God's compassion. Think of it, on the one hand, it's the expression of God's full anger. Jesus on the cross, being killed on the cross, that's a moment of God fully expressing all his anger for all the sin and evil in the world. Jesus puts that on Jesus. Our pride, our arrogance, everything God is righteously angry about is fully expressed in that moment on the cross. That's why Jesus dies. And yet, on the other hand, the cross is a picture of God's compassion. Because it's not just a picture of God's anger, but it's a picture of God's forgiveness. Because in that moment, who's on the cross? It's God himself, Jesus, the Son of God himself, receiving God's anger in our place. So not only is it a picture of God's anger, but it's a picture of God taking that anger upon himself. Jesus receiving that anger in our place. And in that moment, it's a picture of God's compassion, his sympathy. Him receiving the consequence we should all receive upon himself. And and when you see that Jesus has taken all the anger that God could have for you, 
when you see that he was deeply hurt in your place so that you could be restored, so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be healed. In that moment, your judgy heart, your insecure heart, your prideful heart, your arrogant heart, finds some acceptance, it finds some love, it finds some freedom, some peace. God was angry enough. God was serious enough about our problems that he became angry and did something about it. God was serious enough about our problem. He was compassionate about it. He wanted to change it. He sympathized with it and he offered his own life for it. And that is the remedy to our hard hearts. When we look at the cross and we let the cross be the judge of the state of our hearts and we say, yeah, I get it. I see that Jesus had to die for my sin, for my indifference, for my complacency, for my arrogance. And when I see on there the only hope that I have, the only chance I have at rest. When I see that the cross is God's anger, but it's also God's sympathy and his forgiveness. And when you trust in that, you can be vulnerable. You can open up your heart and mind and let God be the authority over your life. You can let the cross be the mirror on your life and your heart can become like his. I'm going to pray for us. Uh, Let me pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, some of us might know and might feel here this morning that we do have withered hearts. Uh, We might just completely understand that. Maybe somebody has reflected that back to us this week. Maybe as we've encountered you, we've realized actually we have hard hearts. Uh, Lord, we're sorry and we repent for our hard-heartedness. Forgive us for stepping into uh, authority over our own lives, for thinking we're in control, trying to be our own saviors, trying to achieve what only you can give us. Uh, Forgive us for that. And we ask this morning that we would uh, see the cross and we would see that you are good enough You're a good enough leader, you're a good enough saviour that you would uh, be angry at what's a real problem, but you'd also have compassion. We ask that we would see that and we'd come to you, seeking for you to restore our hearts, to make them soft, make them like yours. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.